Unwrap your gift now, but pay later. Right now at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Put no money down, no payment, and no interest for up to 18 months. Our elves work year-round, installing in as little as a day. Offer ends December 31st. Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. The Department of Justice is open. You know, we, we, we're, oh, we're, we're, we we're bringing that. that back. Absolutely. For the last like eight shows, you know, I actually, I, I never really want to stop doing it. But a program director said, well, you talk about more than just that. You, you're narrowing yourself. I said, no, people like that. And so the Department of Justice is open. So Vince Vitrano. You do what you want. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> I'll do what right. I want. It, well, right. It's it's it, And this is a program director <laughs> a long time ago. So it's, you know, it, it's exactly, you know, welcome, my friends, to the show that is soon to end. Eight more shows. OK, so Vince, here, here's like a little insight into me. Do you ever have, my late wife, Sue, when I would get on her nerves, which would be frequent, she frequently, she'd, I, this shows like how time to change, but she'd always say, take $20, go out to Target. I could wander, I could wander through Target with $20 buying stuff. <laughs> oh, you know, here, here's a, here's a tire gauge. I probably don't know how to work it, but here, right. there's a tire gauge for 99 cents or, or this is back in the day where they'd have like the, the, the bins with all the cassette tapes back in those days. They have a Sam and Dave cassette for 99 cents. I'll buy for 20 bucks. I could kill an hour walking through Target. So I have always had that. That sort of there's some stuff that I just cannot pass by. Do you have anything like any time like you're, you're one of these point of purchase things and there's a particular like item or something that you just can't pass by? I don't know why, but I'll still sift through the CD bin, uh-huh. you know, when it's a bargain bin and you're like, oh, what I, even though I have actually rented, you know, via streaming things for which I have a, a CD or a DVD for and because yeah. I, I forget I have it right. and we're so and accustomed to it out. right so yeah. I, it's pointless and it's silly but I'll still buy some CDs and DVDs okay well I have this weakness and and my lovely wife Fran if you're listening just just turn off the radio for about like 5 minutes okay <laughs> and and if you run into Fran don't tell her this okay but what one of one of my weaknesses is like flashlights for some reason I do not think you could have enough flashlights. And it's just, and I, I, that's just one of, one of the, the things that, so it is very difficult for me to walk past point of purchase things for like, like flashlights. So this morning I've got, um, are you, a, do you wear wrist watches? watches? No, I haven't, haven't for years. Okay. I, I am a wristwatch guy. And, and I, my friend keeps saying, let me buy you an Apple watch. I don't want an Apple watch. I, I don't want that in, but I don't, <clears throat> I don't want an alarm clock on my watch. I don't want to know how many steps I have. I've got a phone. I don't need to look at my watch. I don't want an Apple watch, but I like old fashioned wristwatches. Yeah, yeah. So I have, I have four wristwatches, one that I'm wearing now that Fran gave me, which is a relatively expensive wristwatch, another one that she gave me, which is a relatively expensive one, and then I have two other wristwatches that are, are Packers wristwatches, and I've had them forever, but they have sentimental value. One is a Super Bowl watch from about 13 years ago that my late wife gave me, and one is a Packers watch that my dad gave me. So, I mean, it just, cool, these, great. so you know, I, I have to replace watch batteries and things like that, and, and I, just, I'll, I always rotate them. So... Um, one of the Packers watches, the watch battery dies. So this morning on my way into work, I stop off at Batteries Plus to get the watch battery replaced. 
So while the, the gal at Batteries Plus is replacing this, I'm just kind of like looking around because Batteries Plus is it's, it's kind of like Camping World. It's this great store because they've got all this stuff that you didn't know that you needed or had to have. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> but I'm I'm looking at that. So as I'm waiting for her to replace this, I, I come upon it at the cash register. They've got they've got this thing here. I'm pulling out my big wad of keys. They've got these little these little flashlights that that go onto your keychain. Mm-hmm. And they're like normally seven bucks. It was two for ten dollars. Two for ten. Two for ten dollars. Please tell me you bought two. I, I, oh, of course I bought two. <laughs> I said these are two for ten dollars. Absolutely. And, and of course now, I mean, I've got this big honking key thing. I feel like one of the kids in high school in the AV club that had this like all this these big keys on stuff on them. But I just I could not pass up on the on the, the flashlight there. So now I, I have two. There's there's one. It's kind of working right there. So I, it's on the keychain. Got a flashlight on your phone too, man. I, well, yeah. <laughs> you do. <laughs> Okay. If my wife is listening to this, don't pay any attention to Vince. Yes, but I mean, if but, you enjoy it, though, man, it, but, well, it clearly brings you joy. That's what it they does. Say. And, so and, fine. It, and it's actually, you know, and it's it's it was only ten bucks. Okay. You know, it was it was only ten bucks in the scheme of money that I pee away, right. or that most of us do. These two for ten dollars. That is right. I do have one yeah. on the phone, <laughs> but but you uh, you could do worse. You you could for do, ten bucks. I, I, and it's but it, it's flashlights. So I will. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm just ready for the apocalypse because, you know, when, when the apocalypse comes, I want to make sure that I have a flashlight. We have in our house now. Have you seen these lantern sort of fl- oh, yeah. flashlights oh, yeah. where you just they like separate and you, yep, you, you pull them apart and then they light up. I think that's really effective. I'm not particularly fascinated by them, but they, they appear to fulfill their function. You've got a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah sure. absolutely. Well, you can't, you can't have enough flashlights. That's so. That's. That 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 was kind of like my point of purchase thing today, and it was like, oh, batteries plus. And there were other stuff. There was other more expensive stuff that I was looking at too, but I was able to keep it to just like ten bucks. And that's how you sell it. You should no, you should reward me. I could have spent so much more on oh. these. Ver- friend, I could have spent so much more on these various other. Things. Absolutely, I was in the hardware store <laughs> on my way home from work yesterday, and I, I was buying something. And there were, I mean, they had expensive flashlights yes. that were there. I mean, they they had the 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 big things that were like thirty four bucks and stuff. I passed up all that, you know. Now it's it's good because actually this is one of the times where our text line has disappeared, you know, and, and we tell everybody that the the company that ran the text line went out of business actually, and they're making arrangements to you know use a different company, but I'm now told it's it's probably not going to be working while I'm still here. So you know we're old school, but this is probably one of those good things because right now I'd be getting all these texts going, get to the program, who cares about flashlights? <laughs> I think you'd be getting more texts about. Other things that people collect that are a little bit off. Oh, right. <laughs> right. And again, it's, I have a pencil collection. I really enjoy it. I can't well, walk but by. But you it. can just never have. You can never have enough of, of these sort of of things. And and again, as long as you keep it, of like I say, of all the different stuff that I spend money on, I guess these two little flashlights. Although you're right, you do have that on your phone now. Yeah. Well, you're not becoming a hoarder or anything. So if you're happy with it, fine. All right. Good. good. Okay. Well, we will we, allow it. We will do that. Won't well, we folks will allow Jeff to have his flashlights. Okay. That's it. Thank you, Vince. I appreciate that. I, you know, I have been, I, I've been mentioning this, um, just because since we announced I was, I was leaving and leaving WTMJ and, and retiring from daily radio, I have been absolutely overwhelmed by the response I've gotten. And matter of fact, somebody came up to me today and said, did, did you realize, you know, how, how many people actually listen? And you, you see the numbers and stuff, but you don't do that. But the response has been just absolutely incredible. And it just, it, it brings, 
uh, the, the, the sentiments and the thoughts. I, I got an email just a couple a little while ago from one of our listeners, Carrie. Jeff, I've been a long-time listener. Going to miss listening to you for sure. I'm very sad your show is ending. My dad was a Vietnam veteran, and he is the one who always had your show on the radio. Actually, see, that's Aaron who's producing the show. That That's that's how you, you survive for, for years. You, you have a second generation. You have... You know, people who grew up, their, their folks were listening, and then they started listening, and now their kids are, are listening as well. Um, my dad was a Vietnam veteran. He was one who always had your show on the radio. Huge WTMJ talk radio guy. He, oh, that's all he listened to his car and at home. Passed away 14 years ago. You can give him credit for introducing me to your show. Rest in peace, Dad. You've educated me over the years about just about everything you talk about. I thank you for sharing all your knowledge and making me more aware of current events, etc. One of my favorite topics I'm going to miss is the Memorial Day segment. I look forward to every year people calling in and sharing the stories about veterans and their loved ones. Just wanted to reach out, send you the best congrats on your retirement, and enjoy. My afternoons are not going to be the same. One thing you mentioned yesterday that I do that from time to time, and sometimes I sit in my car when you have a topic I'm really interested in, and I wait to listen to the entire thing before exiting my vehicle. When you said that yesterday, it made me chuckle because that's me. That's I, I have said that if that the highest compliment you can pay somebody who does spoken word radio is that, that I was listening, I got to where I'm going, I'm sitting in my car uh, waiting for the topic to end because I want to see where it goes. That That's I, I had a, a guy not that long ago said that his wife thought he, he had like had a heart attack or a stroke or something because he pulled into his driveway and he just sat there for like eight minutes in the driveway. And she's going, okay, why isn't he coming in? Well, I'm listening to that guy on the radio. So that's it's just if if I've been able to do that sometime over the years, that's um, I, I'm I'm very pleased with that. OK. Let me take a quick break. When we come back, there are good ideas. There are ideas that sound good on paper but don't work out. And then there are ideas that are so dumb that they would oink. No offense to pigs. This is an idea which is in that so dumb it would oink category. What could possibly go wrong? I will share and we will discuss in just a moment. Everybody who's watching us on YouTube want, want to see, what was, was that flashlight you bought again, Jeff? And do you really have all that stuff on your keychain? Yes, I, I, I do. You can watch us. We live stream the show. All you have to do is go to YouTube.com and put in WTMJ or WTMJ.com and click the watch live button. But yeah, that was there's a lot of stuff on my keychain. I admit it. Some of it's going to, to come off because there, there's stuff that I, I, I'm not going to need pretty soon, but I'm, I'm working on it. Okay. I, I just, let me just, just jump right, just jump right into this. Cause I, I first saw the story on, on one of the TV channels and then I, I thought I must, I must not have heard this because we, we cannot be doing this. The city of Milwaukee cannot be this dumb. Do they not understand what's going to happen? No, and I'm not talking about what the city of Shorewood did, where they turned the the two-way street into essentially a street where you drive straight at each other. You know, we've talked about that before. Something that still has people just absolutely shaking their head about who who could who responsibly could have thought that. All right, this has to do with Christmas trees. If you haven't heard the story, I am not making this up. Hand in the air. Okay, now let let's just kind of back up here. The city of Milwaukee has a huge problem with people dumping garbage all over. 
I mean, how many stories do we see about vacant lots or alleys where people just dump their crap? And the the, the city, you know, they, they, they can find people if they can catch them, but it's very difficult to do that. And, you know, when you've got murders and carjackings and car thefts going on, it, it's tough to, like, track down somebody that dumped a bunch of tires in somebody else's backyard, which isn't to say littering is not a problem. <clears throat> but you know, it, it just there, there's a limited amount of resources. So. One of the things, the way they have handled what what is going on this this month, what what do let me see what's happening this month? Well, okay, lots of stuff, but one is this thing called Christmas, right? Now I understand at the risk of offending some of you, particularly if you work in walk in the Wauwatosa City Hall, one of the things that people do around Christmas time is they put up these things called Christmas trees, right? Now I happen to have an artificial Christmas tree. And I know for some of you purists that that doesn't work. I love my artificial Christmas tree. So, you know, what we do every year and the Christmas tree is up, you know, we haul it up from the basement and you kind of put it together and the lights are on it. And then my wife decorates it. She does a great job of keeping Christmas. But it's it's when Christmas is over, what we do is we take the ornaments off and then we take the tree apart and we take it downstairs and put it in the box where it will wait till it is ready to go up next Christmas. It is not a problem. For many of you, you purchase real Christmas trees. And I, I get it. There's always this dispute about is an artificial one better than a real one? It, it doesn't matter. It's it's kind of like, you know, having the Ginger and Marianne argument. You know, it, it's just you're always going to have that battle. But for those of you, and there's a lot of you out there that purchase the live Christmas trees, all right, and it's great. You do the same thing. You hang the lights on them. You put the, the, the ornaments and things like that. You have to keep watering them. But at some point in time, Christmas is going to come to an end. And then what happens is you're going to take the ornaments off. You're going to take the tinsel and garland off. You're going to take the lights off. And then you're going to have this Christmas tree, which is probably starting to drop needles and, you know, die. So you have to dispose of the Christmas tree, right? Well, in the city of Milwaukee, what people have always done up until this year is they have taken the used Christmas tree and they have taken it out and put it on the curb. And the city of Milwaukee Department of Public Works has come by and they have picked up the Christmas trees and then they've taken them to Christmas tree heaven or wherever they go. But but, you know, that's that's how people dispose of them. The city of Milwaukee. Well, here's the headline. Milwaukee to no longer collect Christmas trees curbside, Department of Public Works says. Now, this is not completely the stupidity of the Department of Public Works in Milwaukee. It, it starts from the stupidity of Tony Warren Spahn Evers and his uh, state of DNR. Um, the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources has, for some reason, decided that they were going to revisit <clears throat> their long-standing interpretation about Christmas trees. Historically, Christmas trees have always been considered household decorations, which means that you could put them out on the curb, they could be picked up by the garbage people, and they could be taken to landfills where they are deposited. For reasons undoubtedly due to some environmentalist somewhere who gets a, you know, a, a burr in his or her bonnet, they have decided that they have no, are no longer going to consider Christmas trees as household decorations, but rather they're going to be considered yard waste. 
So that means the typical garbage collectors cannot pick them up because the garbage they pick up goes to to a landfill. All right. So then the question becomes, well, if they're if they're not household decorations, what are they? And and how do you treat yard waste? Well, yard waste has to be composted. And so it goes to a different place. All right. Well, you say, well, wait, city of Milwaukee, you know, how do you handle leaves? You can rake leaves into the curbs and you can put like dead branches and stuff and they'll pick them up. Well, the I can't make this stuff up. The city of Milwaukee only collects yard waste um, from like the March 2nd through the end of November. They don't collect yard waste in December and January and February. So the Christmas trees are now considered to be yard waste. So as a result, if you put them out on the curb, they're not going to be picked up. They're not household decorations, so the garbage people aren't going to pick them up. They're they're considered yard waste, but there's no yard waste pickup for three or four months. So the Christmas trees are not going to be picked up. Now, the city of Milwaukee, which cannot get anybody to do anything, they can't stop people from like dumping old tires in other people's lots. They have now said, okay, here's what we're going to require people to do. Instead of just putting your Christmas tree out at the curb, we we want you to take your dead Christmas tree with the leaves falling. We want you to put it in your car, and we want you to drop it off at one of our two permanent drop-off centers, one on Industrial Road, on Mill Road, on the northwest side of the city, and one on Lincoln Avenue, kind of on the south side of the city. And they said, well, and we might offer a couple other things. But they're saying to residents, we want you to take the Christmas trees and we want you to drive them halfway around the city and drop them off. What could possibly go wrong with this? Do you think, what is the percentage of people in the city of Milwaukee that you think will take their dead Christmas tree with needles dropping all over it, take it, put it in their car, and drive it halfway across town to drop it off at one of these composting facilities. What is the percentage? 80%? Huh, 50%? 20%? You're lucky if you get one out of 100 who is going to do this. This is just the flat-out reality. What about all the people that don't have cars? Are you going to take your dead Christmas tree and put it on the bus with you and haul, out, haul it out there? I mean, it's just... It is absolutely crazy. So what is going to happen? Well, you're going to have, my prediction, people with these dead Christmas trees, they're going to drop them. They're going to put them on the curb anyways. I mean, they're just going to dump. They're going to get out of their house. You've got an apartment building like, you know, an eight-family apartment building or something. Those Christmas trees are going to get dumped on the curb. So the garbage people aren't going to pick them up. There's no yard waste pickup. So they are then going to sit there. Well, okay, what's going to happen? Well, we have this thing in Wisconsin called wind, and you know that the wind is going to come along. It's going – you have first day where you get like 35-mile-an-hour winds out of the north or northwest or west or whatever. These things are going to be blowing all over neighborhoods. God knows where they are going to end up. Now, look, this the, the, the solution to this, to me, is obvious. The solution is, and I understand this is a problem that the city of Milwaukee has not necessarily caused. It's been caused by Tony Evers and the DNR deciding to change the rule with how you treat dead Christmas trees. All right, so if Evers 
and the DNR aren't going to back off on their thing, it, it creates this problem. The obvious answer is, you know what, even though we technically don't pick up yard waste during these three months, we're going to schedule a two-week period where we're going to go around and we're going to pick up your Christmas tree, and we're going to take it ourselves out to the composting thing. Because maybe it's just me, but if you re- if you rely on people to do it, I mean, I'm just I'm trying to picture a bunch of people sitting on a county bus heading out to Mill Road with their dead Christmas trees. I mean, it's it just flat out not going to happen unless you make some material change. You are going to have dead Christmas trees blowing all over the city of Milwaukee. You think we have a problem with reckless driving now? Can you just imagine you're driving down the street and all of a sudden there's three dead Christmas trees in the middle of the road? How are you going to snowplow when you've got dead Christmas trees in the middle of the road? I mean, you know, can you imagine we've got enough problems with police chases now and how they end up? You know, you're going to have somebody driving the stolen car at 100 miles an hour. They pull down the street. Boom, there's three or four Christmas trees they're going to be plowing into. This policy is never going to work. And anybody with an IQ above a dead Christmas tree should understand that the policy is not going to work. And again, I appreciate it's not, it's a problem that's caused by what the state DNR did. But just saying, take your Christmas tree out yourself to, you know, the northwest side on, on Mill Road or to Lincoln Avenue, nobody is going to do that. Or for all intents and purposes, almost nobody is going to do it. Our number. And again, the text line doesn't work. Uh, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Christmas tree disposal. Is is there any chance that this plan is going to work where you tell people we're not picking them up, so you have to figure out a way to get them out to the composting thing yourself? Is anybody going to do that? And my answer is no. 855-616-1620. You can't get people to stop dumping you know, garbage and tires and things like that. So now everybody that has a live Christmas tree is expected to drive to a couple of these different centers. Not going to happen. Not a workable solution. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Here's an email. Jeff, I envision Milwaukee streets full of discarded Christmas trees in the height of winter put out by a combination of people who are either unaware of the policy change. The policy change we're talking about is they're announcing that the the Department of Public Works is no longer going to pick up Christmas trees because <clears throat> Tony Evers' Department of Natural Resources has said we're, we're no longer going to con- continue or consider Christmas trees to be household decorations, which mean they can go in a landfill. Instead, we have to treat them as yard waste, and yard waste has to go to a different place. But Milwaukee doesn't pick up yard waste between December and January in the winter. So right now, they're telling people, okay, we want you to take your Christmas trees and we want you to take them to one of these two composting places. Who is going to do that? Anyhow, the email continues. I envision Milwaukee streets full of discarded Christmas trees in the height of winter put out by a combination of people who are either unaware of the policy change or those who don't care. My, my guess would be that those who don't care are going to be the larger uh, contingency. When the first big snow hits, plows will be hitting them and either getting damaged or seriously or dangerously tossing trees into the air, parked vehicles, and potentially even pedestrians and structures. Seems to me it will be a big mess. Yeah, I, I think that that's a fair thing. I think a big mess is a good way to describe it. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. It's 
pure insanity. These guys are just nuts. You know, people can't manage to take a fast food bag to a garbage can. How are they going to take a tree halfway across the city? Well, well, right. So what? I mean, so what? What's going to happen? The tree is dropping all its needles. It's January fifth or whatever. You're taking the tree down. You've got to do something with it. I mean, seriously, how many people are really going to? Figure out we're going to drive this over to, to Mill Road, sixty um, sixth and Mill Road, and we're going to go into that big city, you know, dump area. N- almost nobody is going to do that. And who wants a dead Christmas tree in their car to begin with? Oh, that's true. I wonder if Tony Evers would do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are we going to What are we going to do with the Capitol Christmas tree? No, thanks for the thanks for the call, Mike. And again, it, it's it it's just this is one of these things that see sometimes there's ideas that sound good on paper. And they don't work out very well in reality. This is one that I, I mean, I, I can't believe they even rolled it out because just on paper, you you know that it's not going to, you know, work. Let's talk to Shannon in Oak Creek. Shannon, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Hey there. Um, I'm looking at this from a perspective of kind of a, a country boy, rural guy here. I'm wondering how many uh City folk are going to be calling the fire department when they're trying to get rid of their trees. Um, I'm wondering, you know, you think about a dried up dead pine tree. Have you ever burned pine before? No, I have not. <laughs> it's it, it's like gasoline. I'm worried that a lot of people think, well, hey, I'll just take this in the backyard, cut it up, throw it in my burn pit, throw it in my fire barrel, put it in my fireplace. Oh, uh, you yeah. chop up that pine that dried a pine tree and light it it will go up like gasoline and i'm worried the fire department might be getting a lot of calls over this yeah well hopefully not i mean thanks to coach i mean look it's just there is a simple solution and rather than rolling out this rube goldberg scheme there's a simple solution and that solution is you know given and i look i appreciate this is not a problem that the city of milwaukee caused this is a problem that the dnr has caused but the solution to this is to say okay well, we're going to have to make arrangements for a couple weeks, and I don't know how long that, that period would be, but we are going to do Christmas tree pickups. And I understand that probably means diverting people from driving the snow plows or whatever, and there's probably going to be an added cost. Thank you, Tony Evers. But just to tell people, we expect you to dispo- – in the city of Milwaukee, we expect you to take the responsibility for disposing of your Christmas trees. In the real world, it's just not flat going to happen. All right. We have a call from a city worker who would like to remain anonymous. I'm going to let you do that. Good afternoon. Thank you. I appreciate uh, the time. Sure. So what you're saying is exactly correct. The city will end up uh, dispatching a couple trucks, maybe one or two per yard, to go out and collect these trees. And they'll be dumped in an area where they can be collected and sent right to, uh, you know, the place where we send yard waste. Because uh, for all the reasons you stated, uh, we're going to have true Christmas trees all over the place. Okay. Because people are not going to do exactly what you said. And, and there were meetings on this for the last week or so. And not in the long-term meetings, just this is what we're we can no longer pick them up but everybody in the room and all of the crews all of the managers we all know that we're going to be out there <laughs> picking up these trees because oh. we're either going to be uh, picking them up uh at curbside or in the middle of the road uh, or you know it, it, there's more more dumping illegal dumping okay so, so here's what i don't understand right but, here's what i don't understand because obviously <clears throat> you know what what you're saying what you're saying, it's, it's the only way that makes sense. It's the only realistic thing. 
So why why roll out a policy like this, you know, with all this fanfare and all over the TV? Why isn't there somebody who says, look, what we're talking about just isn't practical? You know, it, it might sound good on paper. We want the residents to figure out how to get the Christmas trees halfway across town to, to drop them off. But isn't there somebody in that room that says, don't you realize this isn't going to work? Why not just go to what you're talking about now, what, which is ob- the obvious thing that has to happen? That's what I don't get about this whole thing, you know? <laughs> Right. Well, uh, a lot of people in that room didn't get it either. So. <laughs> okay. Good enough. Thanks for the call. It, it is it's, the same way. So no, thanks for the call. I mean, it's just like it works for the city, and and it's just it it is it's just. I mean, you don't mean to laugh at this stuff, but you you think okay, well, and I appreciate it. It's a problem we did not create. It is a problem the DNR has created for us. Okay, but now we have to figure out what a solution is. And you would wonder, you would think that there'd be somebody in a position of authority, whether it's the mayor's office or whether it's with the DPW, who would raise their hand when they hear this and they say, don't you realize that what we're talking about and what we're going to tell the public they have to do makes no blanking sense? Because <laughs> it does make no blanking sense uh, about this. And, I mean, obviously, they're going to have to move to at least some targeted sort of pickup of Christmas trees or else – I think we all agree there's going to be Christmas trees blowing all over the city and snow plows are going to be hitting them and they're going to be blocking roads. And it's just going to be a complete and total mess because you you know that there's this opportunity that's there. So I, I again, it, we're from the government. We're here to help you. There's some ideas going back to how we started this conversation that I understand they sound good on paper and they don't work out. There's unintended consequences. And then there's other ideas which are just flat out dumb and they're dumb from the jump. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Somebody comments on YouTube. Well, Obviously, Christmas trees are yard waste, even though they've never been considered that before. You know, I applaud the city for fiscal responsibility. Are you on drugs? I mean, seriously, are you nuts? Because here's what's going to happen. It's not that the city doesn't pick up yard waste. It's just that the city doesn't pick up yard waste between December to, to March. People aren't going to dispose of the trees. They're going to dump them out on the curbs regardless. They're going to get blown around, and the first snowplow that plows into them is going to cause more damage to the snowplow than it would cost to just pick up the darn trees. So this isn't fiscally responsible at all. It's going to end up costing a lot more to the city to clean up the mess that's going to be made by all these Christmas trees that are dumped than it would be to just pick them up in the first place. And again, I appreciate it. it wasn't, this isn't a problem the city's caused. The city's been able to pick them up in years past. It is only because Tony Evers and the DNR decided that they were going to change the rule. Um, yeah, one of our texts said, I'd love to see what the alleged savings dropping trees off is supposed to save. Bet the city pays more with this new initiative. Well, you're going to pay more in damages. There's, there's no question about it. And our city worker caller is probably exactly right. Hopefully somebody will say, okay, you know, but before we even roll this out, we realize this is really dumb and it's not going to work. And we'll, we'll dedicate, you know, one of our trucks to go pick up Christmas trees that are out there and take them over for composting. That's how it should happen. I have talked about this case a couple times and I want to bring it back. The trial isn't until March of next year, and I'm not going to be doing the daily radio show here in WTMJ then, but, but I want this case to be first of mind because it demonstrates the war on police that is being conducted in some communities. And this is, of course, Dane County, the ever politically correct um, Dane County, where you have decisions that are made based on 
Well, really, you know, the community, the loudest voices in the community, you scream loud enough. And then even though it's a case that's got no chance of being of being won, you get the DA's office to bring it and essentially try to ruin a good person's life and have to spend all sorts of money on legal fees. I'm talking about this case brought against a, a division of criminal investigation agent named Mark Wagner. And I, I've tweeted about this before. What, what happened is February 3rd of 2022. Uh, I'll just kind of do this. Um, Agent Wagner is part of this this intergovernmental task force, and they're they're out there trying to pick up fugitives. And they get this word that this guy who's wanted for drug dealing and all sorts of things, they they've got a location on him. So they set up this, this deal where they're going to they're, they're going to arrest him. So there's a bunch of cars that that go out uh, to arrest him. So this is part of the tactical squad. What happens is they they find him in his car, and what the, they do is the, the police take two cars, one in front of the bad guy's car, one behind it, and they pin the car in. That, that's this maneuver they do. So then Special Agent Wagner, along with a couple other people, their job is to roll up. They get out of the car, and they want to make an arrest. So because there is a concern that this person might be armed, et cetera, et cetera, they're, they're taking all sorts of precautions. So Special Agent Wagner gets out of the car. He's got one of these shields and he, he's going up to the side of, of the car. They're telling the person to get out of the car, get out of the car, get out of the car. And there's a couple agents that are behind him. The guy is not getting out of the car. As a matter of fact, he's revving his car and moving back and forth. Try, he's pinned in. He's trying to, to bust out of this. They're yelling, police, police, you know, get out of, get out of the car, etc. The car is heavily tinted as well. That's a whole other issue. So it's not easy to see what's going on there. And, um, you know, Special Agent Wagner, you know, he, he's talking about how I, I, I'm trying to look through these tinted windows. I'm getting closer. I've got this shield up. We're, we're yelling at the guy to show his hands, et cetera, et cetera. And, and he's not doing that. Um, the car is revving back and forth. One of the other agents, I guess, comes up and, and smashes in one of the, the smashes in the rear mirror, the rear view um, wind. the the, the windshield in the back, the, the shield in the back, the rear mirror, smashes that in so they can get a look inside the car. Meanwhile, the bad guy who's in the car, he's still revving the stuff. He's he's not surrendering. He's moving his hands up and down. And we're, we're exactly not sure what happened. It's unclear. But when when the, the window breaks, when they break the window, um, there, there's a concussion or something. Um, Special Agent Wagner gets knocked over. At that point in time, he thinks he's being shot at. He thinks he and his partner are being shot at by the guy who's been refusing to show his hands. And so they shoot. They, they, they fire. And there were a couple shots that were fired in. They hit the, they hit the guy um, who, who's there. He, he did not die. And that, that's, I guess, the good news. The district attorney's office has charged Special Agent Wagner with a variety of crimes. Include, well, actually, second-degree recklessly endangering safety by use of a dangerous weapon. This case is an absolute outrage. It, it's going to trial in March. But here you have one of these agents, and this and Special Agent Wagner has been a, been a cop in law enforcement for decades. The people with him have been in law enforcement for decades. They are making a high-risk arrest. 
You have somebody who is not complying with their instructions. You have somebody who is pinned in, who's revving the car, trying to get away. And then you have all these circumstances, in, including, I, I mean, whatever it was, Wagner thought he was being shot at, no relation to me. He thought he was being shot at, so he fires. Somebody else also fires. Um, none of this happens if the bad guy simply does what he was supposed to do in the first place, which is surrender when he's pinned in by law enforcement. But for the district attorney's office to bring charges is an absolute outrage. In my opinion, there is no way in God's green earth, even in Dane County, the People's Republic of Dane County, there's no way that they're going to find 12 people who are going to agree beyond a reasonable doubt that this particular agent did anything against the law or certainly proved a crime beyond a reasonable doubt. But yet it, it, it ruins his life because he's always going to be identified in this fashion. This was, in my opinion, it was charges that were brought because you had some loud voices in the community. Oh, this was an unarmed black man who was shot. Well, okay, there's all sorts of reasons behind how this happened, including had the man simply surrendered in the first place, none of these situations would have occurred. They're trying to scapegoat uh, him. The district attorney in Dane County is trying to make Special Agent Wagner a, a scapegoat. I don't think it's going to work. But meanwhile, you know, he's got to pay for legal fees and things like that. It's an absolute outrage. The case is scheduled to go to trial in March um, I, I'm going to be following this in many respects. You should follow it as well. But it's a classic example of why nobody, nobody wants to be a cop anymore. Back with more in just a minute. Up until the early 1970s, if you watched television, particularly like the sitcoms, it was the Andy Griffith, it was the Leave it to Beaver types of things. It was Gilligan's Island. No knock on Gilligan's Island. I still watch Gilligan's Island from time to time. But it was kind of these sort of pointless kind of comedies, or they were comedies that had morals and they always ended in a certain fashion. That all changed in 19, I want to say 71, with um, All in the Family and Archie Bunker. And that led to just a complete new generation of situation comedies. And at the height of that, Norman Lear, he was the creator of All in the Family. Um, he, he went on to produce lots of shows, The Jeffersons which looked at the struggles of a, of a black family. Um, you had Good Times, which was another, that was set in the Chicago projects. Um, Maud, outspoken feminist, and they dealt with issues like abortion, which, you know, up until then had been absolute taboo, taboo on television. All that was the, the brainchild of producer Norman Lear, who, um, very, very active in Hollywood. I think really, Politics notwithstanding, you can say he kind of changed the face of modern TV. I bring this up because he passed away this morning at the age of 101. And he's certainly a guy who leaves a huge legacy on the medium within which he worked. When we come back, the final Jeopardy answer is 148.6 million. 148.6 million. I'll give you the uh, question right after the top of the hour news. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. The Department of Justice is open. That's how we started this program 25 years ago. It's how we're going to wrap it up. Greg Matz. Yes, sir. All right. So I, right before the break, I was talking about Norman Lear, who really recreated, I mean, modern situation comedies in the early 1970s with All in the Family and things like that. He passed away at the age of 101. Here's one of the other stories from yesterday. Um, 
Lionel Dahmer, who is the father of Jeffrey Dahmer, passed away yesterday at the age of 87. And and what always struck me about that is, can you imagine what it was like to go through life as the father of Jeffrey Dahmer? Yeah, I, I'm sure he. I'm sure Lionel and Mrs. Dahmer did not want their names in the news, you know, associated with their son. I, I always wonder in situations like that, just how much did they know? Did they know their son was disturbed to any level? You know, Jeffrey Dahmer died at the age of 34. I guess I didn't realize he was that young. Uh, the anniversary of his death uh, was uh, not too murdered long ago. In prison, yeah, killed yeah, in prison, murdered in yeah. prison, beat to death. So, yeah, uh, 87, though. I, I, I wonder what his day-to-day life was like. Well, you know, exactly, because you wonder <clears throat> you wonder how that, that, that goes. Oh, you know, oh, nice to meet you. This is Lionel. Hi, hi, hi I'm Lionel Dahmer. And you just hear that name. It's kind of like, you know, people are like, okay, any, any relation? You know, well, Jeffrey Dahmer was my son. You can just... I mean, I feel bad because there's there's nothing at all to suggest that, you know, he was knew anything about what was going on. And I guess that the question becomes, you know, you, you always hear the story about sins of the father. But in this case, it's sins of the son. You know, you got an adult kid who goes off and does something terrible, but you're always you're always going to be linked to that. Would you change your name in that situation? Leave the country? Like, what, what do you do? Uh, interesting. Right. To go by your middle name, your wife's maiden name. Uh, who knows? It, this is. I mean, I, I, I do not mean this this analogy, um, but it, because it has nothing to do with like Dahmer's. But it is always a question of what happens if if you have a really famous like sibling or, or something like that, or famous or infamous or whatever. I um I went to Nicolay, and a few years behind me, but ahead of my brother, Cato Kalin. Remember Cato oh, Kalin? Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> you know Cato Kalin, who is the. You know, the, the, of course, became famous during the O.J. Simpson trial. You know, he was kind of the house guest. And now now I think he's a radio DJ or something. That I sounds mean, about right, yeah. But, yeah, but, you know, so Cato Kalin, it's, it's not an infamous thing. It's not like a Dahmer thing. But, you know, it's, you're, you know, Cato Kalin is kind of one of these people who's famous for sort of being famous, you know, in some respects. You know, there's another name, and he's a, a very prominent NFL play-by-play broadcaster. His name is Jerry Sandusky. Out in Baltimore, right, right, and of course you hear the name and you think Penn State, right. Joe Paterno's coaching staff, and, and all the things Jerry Sandusky did, like that. That he's a prominent NFL broadcaster. Well, Same name, different guy. Well, well, in this case, anyhow, I a few years ago, I'm, I'm I'm at a bar with a friend of mine who introduces me to one of his high school classmates. Turns out to be Cato Kalen's brother. Oh, <laughs> you know? No, and it's, and we're having this conversation. This is and I forget. I honestly, I'm sorry, I forget his first name. But is this is such and such? And you know, uh, John. What, what, let's say it's John. I don't know that. Well, I don't think it was, but John Kalen. And I'm I'm like, and we went to Nicolay together. And then inevitably, the question is. You related to Cato, and I'm sure that you hate to get. I mean, you go through you go through life like, oh God, you know, somebody's <laughs> going to ask me this. Yes, it's my brother or whatever, and I don't think there's any animosity, and there's nothing to be ashamed of or anything. It's just like, yes, I that's that is my brother. My brother has to deal with that a lot. Are you related to that guy on the yeah, radio, you know, Jeff? You, you, you know, Cato's maybe a little more lovable, I think, uh, to some <laughs> yeah. degree, right? He's yeah. still oh. a Brewers fan, like he's still oh, right. times in on Brewers Twitter, and but but it is know. it's this when when people hear that name, they just kind of like a. a and stuff and he matter of fact his brother's very very you know nice guy and i've run into him a couple times over the years and stuff but it's kind of like all right what what do you do when you have a, a sibling or a kid or a father who's famous or infamous right you know? right I, I heard you talking about norman lear he was creating shows that would have been perfect for the fox network way before the fox network was oh, the fox network right yeah right you, you don't have married with children unless you have exactly. you know exactly all in the family exactly but but his his idea that families are flawed families have struggles and it's okay to not have a great outcome 
But that was sort of his thought process. He Not everything was like the Cosby show. Not everything was perfect. Right. Not everything was doctor and lawyers as parents. Well, and see, and I'm old enough to remember, you know, when All in the Family debuted. And, and situation comedies in the 50s and 60s, it was... It was leave it to Beaver, and and the big controversy was okay. Wally Wally took Ward's car, you know, and, and drove it around the block and you know, dented it up or something, and and how's that going to play out? Or the Andy Griffith show, or uh, again, you know, the the sillier things like Gilligan's Island or Petticoat Junction my or three Beverly sons, Hillbillies. Right? Yeah, my Same three idea. sons, exactly. And I mean, all in the family. Now, I guess you look at it and it seems kind of tame, but it was groundbreaking at the time, where you have the Archie Bunker character who's a a bigot and. Who you know is 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 you know into these political arguments with Rob Reiner, who played the son-in-law, and it was just it was just something that you never saw on TV before. But once it debuted and once it was a hit, you knew TV was going to be changed forever. Yeah, hundred one years old, pretty amazing life, amazing career. Um, he and Mel Brooks were yeah. just huge. I mean, you'd see they they used to hang out together and stuff. Mel Brooks is still alive, I believe. Yeah. Mel Brooks once famously said, "Tragedy is when you cut your finger. Comedy is when you walk into an open sewer pit and die." <laughs> That's a line from Mel Brooks. I'm a huge fan of Mel Brooks <laughs> as well, but uh, Norman Lear uh, Norman Lear passing away at the age of 101. All right, when we come back, the final Jeopardy answer is 148.6 million. I will explain, we will discuss. Okay, I I am on occasion accused of being anti-mass transit. I'm shocked, shocked to hear that. And and I'm really not anti-mass transit. I'm anti-mass transit that doesn't work. I'm anti-stuff that costs a lot of money and never is going to deliver a payoff. I'm anti mass transit based on estimates that have no relation to reality and and never will. I'm anti-mass transit based on estimates that people know or should know are absolutely crazy at the time, and and yet they they go ahead and do them. I mean, we can go through through all sorts of examples. I mean, the hop being one of them, and and I understand, well, people ride the hop. Well, I mean, the the trend... The numbers that they predicted for hop ridership were based on people paying to ride the hop. The hop has been, quote, unquote, free, and by that I mean subsidized for a large portion of the time by the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee. So it's subsidized by the taxpayers because the people that, that run the hop know that if you charged a buck for a ride, the ridership would just absolutely plummet. All right, so the Milwaukee County Transit System, that they put in with federal money, and, of course, the thinking is federal money is free. They put in this, quote, unquote, high-speed bus line, which runs from the east side out to the, the campus of the medical college. And, you know, we've talked about this before. Instead of it taking 36 minutes, it takes, like, 29. So that, that's if you ride the thing the whole way. It, it knocks off, like, five or six minutes. Five or six minutes. I mean, really? And... The, 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 there's this ridership predictions that, oh, and, and of course, you, you take away parking lanes, you redivert traffic, it's all this stuff. So you cause drivers a huge inconvenience. And the idea is, okay, all these people are going to flock to ride the bus. Well, okay, in the real world, that's not going to happen. Now, I understand right now, you know, they, they've had, hey, our ridership exceeds our estimates. But again, the, the, right now, the ridership is free. 
it's it's being it's being subsidized by advertisers. The the only way you're going to know whether it's successful or not is two years from now when people have to pay to, to do this. All right, so you've got this one not so really high speed bus line that, that's out there. So now the transit system has announced that okay, they've now got a new route. What they want to do is they want to put in a north-south bus rapid transit line, which would start in Glendale, kind of by where I grew up at Bayshore Mall, and would dump off in Oak Creek at the IKEA. Now, you know, one of the big arguments for this used to be we're gonna we're gonna go past Northwestern Mutual when they had the Northwestern Mutual campus in Franklin. Well, that's being closed, you know. So that never mind, we don't have that there. But this is now going to go to IKEA, an eighteen mile line. Um, the cost, it will have 33 stops. The cost, $148.6 million. So the final Jeopardy question is, how much is the estimated cost of this north-south bus rapid transit line from Bayshore to Ikea? The answer is $148.6 million. Um, that... Let's round up and call it 150 million because you know by the time it gets built, it's probably going to be 175 million. But let, let's use 150. Um, the estimates are that locally they would have to come up with 20 percent, so that would be 30 million, and 80 percent would be federally funded. Operations and maintenance costs have been estimated at 11.5 million dollars. So you know the taxpayers are going to have to be subsidizing this. They estimate that there would be 33 stops along the corridor. Buses would be projected to run every 10 minutes, which seems like an awful lot of buses, you know, to me to be running. Um, let's see. And then the, the story that I'm looking at in the local newspaper, you know, talks about, well, you know, we've got all these great riders, people that are riding, again, the, the east-west rapid bus route. But, again, right now it's free. You know, it, it's not meeting the expected numbers, and, and right now it's free. So, you know, who knows what it would be when pe- will be when people actually have to start paying. But the big question becomes, is there enough regular ridership on a bus line to support $150 million to create this bus rapid transit line? And, and understand what this means is going to happen. You're going to take away, you're going to take away um, traffic lanes. You're going to take away uh, parking lanes. You're going to, in some cases, probably interfere with accesses to build access to buildings, all to build this bus rapid transit line, which is really going to duplicate stuff that you have going on on now, but admittedly a little bit faster. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Okay, let, let's let let's tee this up. Is is this something? It's worth spending $150 million on. Is there enough demand to have something that starts at Bayshore and Glendale and goes down to Oak Creek, this north-south line? At least you can make the argument with the east-west bus line that, well, you've got the, the medical college, um, so you've got people that are going out to freighter and children's and all that sort of stuff on, on one end, and you've got, you know, people that are on the east side, so it, it offers that connection. But this is, are there really enough people on a daily, regular basis who are going to be going from Glendale down to Oak Creek to make this worth $150 million, plus 
Again, the the $11 million that they estimate is going to cost to keep this thing running and all these other attendant costs. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. And is this really, I mean, is it necessary to have the, the dedicated bus lines? Okay, so $150 million at least. And then, you know, another $11 million a year to, to operate it. And they're looking at, you know, building this, you know, bus rapid transit line, high-speed bus rapid transit line starting at Bayshore and ending up in, in Oak Creek at Ikea. All right, so what 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 do you accomplish with this? You know, you, you understand, I mean, you're tearing up the roads, you're taking away lines of traffic. Like, what do you accomplish? Well, here here's the deal. Right now, they have, of course, existing bus routes that run a- along 27th Street. And, and you can get, you, right now it is possible to take buses that will take you from Ikea up, up to Bayshore or vice versa. Um, right now, the existing bus routes stop at stations every 13 to 15 minutes. The full 18-mile route takes 80 minutes. Okay, 80 minutes, an hour and 20 minutes. The planned north-south BRT line would have buses stop every 10 minutes, with a ride, full ride, taking somewhere between 65 and 70 minutes. So for $150 bucks, you knock off 10 minutes. And that's for somebody, well, okay, let's, let's use the higher estimate. You knock off 15 minutes, but it's still over an hour. And, and that's, that's for people who are riding from Ikea, Ikea up to Bayshore or, or vice versa. Most people, of course, aren't going to ride that that whole way, I I wouldn't imagine. Also, the question becomes, is there really that much demand for people to go from Ikea up to Bayshore and Glendale or vice versa? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, again, the hope here is that they're going to get the federal government to come in and commit 130 of the $150 million or or so that this is is going to need. And and so it doesn't happen unless I think the Fed's pony up to money. But is this this really something that is worth it? 855-616-1620. Mike in Cudahy. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I just was saying to your uh, producer, the... uh, if you take a look at the, the bus lines that run in Milwaukee right now, they're totally empty day and night. I always joke with my wife, there goes the bus driver on his route. Yeah. Nobody's on these buses. Nobody's on the hop. Nobody's on the e-switch, which you mentioned is free now. And it's just a joke, this whole mass transit. We have no masses to transmit, to transport. There are no one, no one's being using, no one's using this infrastructure that we currently have. So that's my rant. I'm old. I can't okay. help it. <laughs> Thanks. Well, it's not to say that, that nobody rides them because there are, there are some people that ride them. I'm looking, I think I have the numbers. The, the East West bus rapid transit line that saves you six minutes. Um, they say that that has, what's the numbers here? I thought I saw it. They say that now it's free. So again, you can't, you can't tell how that's going to work out because it's it's free. Um, uh, there, it's recording an average of thirty five hundred rides per weekday. Um, they had estimated, I think, thirty six hundred, so a little bit below that. But again, it's free, um, so you, you can't really compare uh, the, the 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 county bus route. Again, we're talking the east west route. The county bus route in twenty nineteen, like pre COVID, that. That took, they, they say that had about 1,900 rides. So it's, it's a lot more riders. But again, it, it's free. 
The question becomes, what happens when people have to start paying? I mean, I guarantee you that 3,500 riders per day, that, that's going to drop. Is it going to drop all the way to 1,900? Well, probably not, but hopefully it won't because we invested all this money in doing that. 855-616-1620. It's not a question of mass transit. It's a question of whether this is the best way you could spend 150 million dollars of taxpayer money. Dennis in Milwaukee. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Good. Well, I guess my comment is more on the BRT, the East-West BRT. I ride that several times a week, and I'm very pleased with the dedicated bus line. It is fast. Now, again, I don't ride it from the lakefront to Freighter, I ride it from the Story Hill neighborhood downtown. It is awfully fast and very efficient. Um, regarding the um, other, the proposed uh, BRT from uh, Glendale to Ikea, um, I don't know about that, um, but I did ask somebody from the transit system at a recent meeting what the most heavily ridden bus line in Milwaukee was, and he said the 27th Street bus mm-hmm. line. Now, that 27th Street line would be part of the proposed Glendale to Ikea. So um, I, I guess I've got an open mind on it. I, I'm not quite as pessimistic as you. I, I do enjoy, though, the uh, the speed that the BRT takes me from my home in Story Hill downtown. Dennis, let me ask you this. Did, before they put in the BRT, did you ride the, the regular bus line from Story Hill to downtown? How? Yeah, the, the regular bus line. The re- regular bus line. It used to be number ten. It was changed to the gold line, and I did ride that. How how much time? And I'm am just curious. How much quicker is the, the BRT? Because the whole route is six minutes quicker. So I'm wondering how much time you you save picking it up essentially in the middle. You, you know, I never timed it, okay. but since there are so fewer stops. The, the savings just from Story Hill downtown certainly appear to be a lot more than, than five minutes. I, I can't believe how, how fast it gets me there. And again, that's because there's fewer stops. Right. I know a lot of my friends years ago who didn't ride the bus complained. One of the reasons they didn't was that there were too many stops where the BRT kind of eliminates that. Okay, good enough. Well, th- thanks for calling. And, and I mean, I will be curious to see what happens when they start charging. Because, again, right now the numbers are 3,500, which is a little bit below what they anticipated, but just a little bit. But it, it's free. <laughs> you know. So until you start charging people, because once you start charging people, people will make these different decisions. I, again, I, I, and again, I don't, I don't know. Well, like I say, they, they say the difference is 36 and 29. I think it was 36. Now it's 29. So, But that's the whole route. That That's seven minutes. So uh, I, I don't know if so it can't be more than seven minutes of, of savings for because that's for the whole route. Maybe the fewer stops, you know, knocks off a couple minutes or something like that. But again, I, I'm just I, I'm curious about this. I would argue that you know spending tens of millions of dollars to knock off a couple minutes is not is not a worthwhile expenditure, especially since that there was all sorts of other things that you could do if you wanted to speed it up, including let, let's let's. Let's not have as many stops. Let's give the bus drivers the ability to kind of alter the traffic lights so they could go through them a little bit easier. There, there's all sorts of things that are out there. I'm just looking at, at $150 million is a lot of money. 
And, and that's the that's the projection now. You know things are going to do nothing but go up in cost. That's that is a boatload of money. And is there enough demand? And I mean, I, I appreciate South 27th Street right now is probably a pretty busy thing. But if you put in a bus rapid transit line that people have to pay for, it's is it going to increase ridership enough to to justify that? Or if you want to put in a if if you want to put in a bus rapid transit line, okay, twenty seventh Street to downtown. I mean, I don't know what you're going to find really on twenty seventh Wisconsin Avenue, but but running it all the way out to Bayshore adds tens of millions of dollars in cost to this. And are you going to be able to increase ridership enough? To make it worthwhile. Now, again, I understand what's going to happen. A, a lot of people, you're, you're just going to use it like they do now to go from Bayshore. When I was a kid, we used to, I mean, before we had driver's license, my buddies and I, we'd go over to Bayshore on Saturday morning and we'd hop on the Oakland, Delaware. I forget what the number is. It was, but I mean, I remember it. We'd, we'd go on Saturday morning and we'd hop on the Oakland, Delaware thing and it would take you from Bayshore. It would take you through the east side. It would drop you off on the corner of Wisconsin and Water Street. And, and we'd wander up and down Wisconsin Avenue. This is back when there were stores on Wisconsin Avenue and things like that, you know, and, and we'd, we'd, we'd go and we'd hang out and we'd do that sort of stuff. But that's what we did as, as kids. And, now, nowadays, I'm not sure you'd, you'd let your unaccompanied, you know, 13 or 14 year olds be taking the bus down to the heart of downtown and wandering around. But but this was a different time. But, yeah, I mean, so I, I, I can understand where there might be some demand for that. But by by spending all this money, are you going to increase the demand enough that um, enough that it justifies the expense? Gus, who's giving us a call? Gus, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. The question I got is, would this bus BRT route swing close enough to make it usable for a run to the airport? So somebody wouldn't have to, you know, Uber or leave their car there. You see, a friend of mine lives up on Bayshore, uh-huh. and they ran to the airport, and they got the car stolen oh. at Mitchell. And I'm going... Yeah, well, if something like this would have been in place, and they still run to the airport for Bayshore. Yeah. But if something like this is going to be in place, that might be really beneficial to somebody that needs to run to the airport. So would this thing be routed so that it would swing close enough to the airport to make it worthwhile for somebody to go to the airport if they had to? Okay. Um, at, at the risk of being corrected, I, I, th- I think my answer, the answer to your question is no. I don't think this is intended okay. to be like an airport spur. I th- thanks, thanks for calling. I, and I mean, I, I'm, I don't I, like they've. I, I don't think so. I, I don't think this is intended. You'd still, at least the way I understand the route, you would still need to find some sort of last mile type of type of thing. Because no, I this is not intended to go through the airport. I do not believe now. Because I mean, Twenty Seventh Street. This is going to be running up and down Twenty Seventh Street. That's that's a ways over from. From the airport. Now, somebody might correct me, but no, I, I do not believe that this is intended to be like here. You can take the bus to the airport. You know, it is interesting um, when we when we came back uh, when when I went to sh- I went to Chicago a few weeks ago on the Amtrak train a couple months ago now, and you know there is now Amtrak stops at the airport, and so there it, it is possible on on Amtrak, for example, if you're coming up from Chicago. And you want to fly out of Mitchell? Yes, you you can use that, and and that that'll do that. But I don't 
believe at the risk of being corrected i don't believe that this rapid bus line is intended as service to the airport let's talk to mike in crystal lake mike you're on wtmj mike 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 okay lost mike there eight five five oh i'm sorry wrong oh, button no. mike in crystal lake hi mike yep my fault Hey. My fault. I hit the wrong Hi, button. Jeff. I've only been doing this almost 30 years. I still hit the wrong button from time to time. Mike in Crystal Lake. Hi, Mike. How dare you? How <laughs> yeah. dare you? How dare you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, um, there, there's uh, another little angle on this. Now, the ridership doesn't exist. It's it's not a good deal. I get that part. But there probably is politicians saying it's only going to cost us $30 million to increase this. The rest comes from the federal government. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we should be better citizens of the United States and say just because they want to give us $150 million, they're already $32 trillion in debt. Yeah. Maybe this is something we ought to set aside. Yeah, isn't that interesting? It, it's, it's viewed as it's free money. Because, well, we're, you know, the Milwaukee County is not going to have to come up with it. It's, well, well, yeah, but the taxpayers of Milwaukee County, the tax, all of us taxpayers are helping underwrite it with the money we send off to the IRS, you know, every year. You're exactly right. There is no such thing as free money. Yeah, and why, why should the federal government be giving out so much free money when they're so deep in debt? Well, uh, yeah. and, and maybe it's just that local, state, municipalities, that type of thing, maybe they just need to say no to this free money, so to speak, coming from the government. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, you, you raise an outstanding point, Mike. Thanks for the call. I, and, well, it, it is. It's this idea that it, if, it's, if it's the feds that are paying for it, well, we, we can spend it. My only question about this is, do you need it and is it worth it? And see, that's always been my question about, you know, mass transit sort of issues. I mean, for example, as I, as I said, I'm, I'm not anti-train. Am I anti-building a quote-unquote high-speed train from Milwaukee to Green Bay? Yes, because I don't think there's any way that you're going to have justifiable ridership. If you say, hey, do you think you could add a couple more train routes for the Hiawatha going from Milwaukee to Chicago? Absolutely, because I think that that's one that would end up working. If you're saying to me, Jeff, are you in favor of building the, the streetcar that runs on like a 2.1-mile loop and doesn't go anywhere? No, of course not. Everybody recognizes that that's dumb. On the other hand, if you said, gee, if we took a fraction of the money we spent on the streetcar and we put it and we invested in rubber tire trolleys, for example, where we, we could run people around town when there's events, when there's Summerfest going on, we could go down there. But we're not going to run routes down to the lakefront in the middle of January when nobody's going there. Um, rubber tire trolleys that could help people get to Pfizer Forum from around the city when the Bucks have a playoff game or something. Sure, that makes sense to me. But just... Okay, we're going to run, you know, we're going to spend money to extend a streetcar to take you to a location that nobody's going to at a particular time. And no, that doesn't make any sense. I'm not anti-mass transit. I'm just pro-common sense. But when it comes to this, we don't have a lot of common sense. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Another one of our goodbye songs, that's Lucinda Williams, one of my very, very favorite songs, Can't Let Go. Uh, speaking of like going out to Five Surf Forum and things like that, I was... Um, 
I, I, I ended up watching the, the basketball game, you know, yesterday. And, and one of the things, the, the Bucks game yesterday, and of course they're, they're going to be playing this, this in-season tournament. Uh, they're going to be playing in the, the semifinals. They're going to Las Vegas and you can hear the game here. I think it's 430 that, uh, is tip off. They're going to be in Las Vegas tomorrow. It's, you know, one of the interesting things about this is, I, so I, I ended up watching a good portion of the game on, on television yesterday and I, I admit it's I get frustrated sometimes because nobody plays defense anymore. You know, and it just it's just nobody plays defense at all. The New York Knicks put up one hundred and twenty two points last night. And in in many cases, I mean, I was watching some of this. It's just layup after layup. There's layup drills. They put up one hundred and twenty two points on the Bucks. Now, having said that, the Bucks scored one hundred and forty six. So it, it's difficult, I guess, to complain because you score almost 150 points. You know, you're, you're going to win in most regulation basketball games. So I guess the question becomes why, you know, why, why complain if you're scoring 146 points? But it, it's still nobody plays defense anymore. And I guess it's just as I was watching the game, um, and, and I appreciate that you've got these incredibly talented offensive players, but I just I can't wrap my head around how a team is going to win an NBA championship if you're if you're letting the opposition score 120 130 points. And I mean I understand the obvious answer is you score 146. It's just tough for me to believe that you're going to be able to score 146 every night. But this it's not unique to the Bucks. The, the amount of points that are just being poured in and the, which is a reflection on the talent of the offensive players and the just the the either the inability or unwillingness to play defense. I I don't know exactly, but I mean, normally you would think you score 122 points and you should be winning most NBA games, but not last night because the Knicks still scored 122 points. And if you had the Knicks in 23, you would have still lost. I don't think too many people would have made that bet. So anyhow, the Bucks play the Indiana Pacers, who I think are the leading scoring team in the league. Uh, they play them tomorrow at 4:30. Uh, you, I mean, what's the over-under on at least one of those teams putting up 150 points? Who knows? All right. This used to be a much bigger deal. When I started doing this radio show back in the day, um, there was always we'd always do segments and speculation about Time's Person of the Year, Time Magazine. Now, if I say Time Magazine, Aaron, have you ever read Time Magazine? I've never read it, but I've seen the magazine You've covers. You've seen the everything. magazine cover, but you've never read it. Right. Well, okay. Th- there was a time... And it seems to me it wasn't that long ago. Maybe it was long ago. But when, you know, you that, that was the thing. You'd get Time and you'd have Newsweek and you'd have U.S. News and World Report. And the Time Magazine Person of the Year was something that there was all sorts of specialization on and things like that. And people would focus on it and all this speculation. Who's this going to be? Now it's kind of like, oh, you know, who cares about Time Magazine? And, you know, who, who cares about, you know, who they think their Person of the Year is? That being said, the time person of the year is out, and a lot of times they, they come up with weird ones that are somewhat controversial. This year, um, no, this one, uh, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is time's person of the year. Um, you know, here here's what they, they said. Picking one person who represents the 8 billion people on the planet is no easy task. We picked a choice that represents joy, someone who's bringing light to the world, Taylor Swift, she was like weather. She was everywhere. Taylor Swift beat out eight other finalists, including King Charles III and Barbie. Well, okay, I'm, if, if you're asking me, you know, who 
who deserves more to be the person of the year, King Charles, Barbie, or Taylor Swift? I'm voting for Taylor Swift as well. So anyhow, um, the award goes to the person, individual, group, or concept, whatever that means, that has the most influence on the world throughout the previous 12 months. Okay, so that's Taylor. Maybe what we need to do is send her over to Ukraine and see if she can broker a deal with Russia and the Ukrainians, and then you know send her over to the Middle East and see if you can cut a deal between um, uh, Egypt and Israel and Palestine and Iran. Now that, that would really be an accomplishment. Back with more in just a minute. All right, here is one thing I know for certain. The fourth Republican presidential uh, debate is going to be held tonight in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. There's going to be four, there's four candidates left. Remember, it started out with eight. Now there are four, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, Vivek, Rama's whatever, and uh, Chris Christie. And, and of course, the, the sooner Chris Christie and Rama's whatever go away, the, the, the better it's going to be. And then ultimately, we'll, we'll, the sooner a clear challenger to Donald Trump and it becomes, you know, one-on-one, the, the sooner that emerges, I think the better it's going to be for Republicans, et cetera, et cetera. I know, Aaron producing the show today, I know who the winner of this debate is going to be. No, no question about it. They have they have not cracked the mics. I know who the winner is. Want to know who the winner is? Who is it? The winner is going to be, from roll please, News Nation, which is the station that is carrying this debate. Um, News Nation is, you know, it, it's one of these conser- it, it It's originated as kind of an alternative, maybe a more conservative version of, of Fox News. And it's while the number of people watching News Nation has gone up a little bit, it's it's only a little bit. For example, typically prime time, which on the East Coast is eight to eleven, in that period eight to eleven. So far this year, News Nation draws one hundred and nine thousand viewers. Okay, so just to give you give you a perspective, Fox has two point two million. News Nation has one hundred nine thousand. Um, MSNBC has 1.5 million. News Nation has 109,000. CNN has 649,000. News Nation has 109,000. So, by by just by getting this debate, they, they end up winning. And and my guess, in, in fairness to News Nation, the number of people who've watching it ha- over the last couple of years has has increased. But still, it's it's a minor player in the cable news game. So um, tonight you've got Megan Kelly. Remember Megan Kelly from Fox News, and then later on from MSNBC. From NBC, Megan Kelly is going to be, you know, one of the moderators. Elizabeth Vargas, remember her? She's going to be one of the moderators as well. So um, you know, you you'll have this going on now. How do you find News Nation? Well, you're, you're going to probably have to look on your your cable TV settings. Also, um, it's going to be broadcast on the CW. Um, so you, you'll be able to find it. But look, before a question is asked, News Nation is the winner because I guarantee you um, their numbers, they're going to do more than 109,000 people who are going to watch this debate. So just by virtue of being one of the players in the game, they they win. They win. Now, whether they can sustain this beyond that, I, I, I don't know. And it is going to be interesting to see. I'm going out to dinner with some old friends. So uh, but I am going to I will I will record 
the debate, and I'll come back about nine thirty tonight, and I will I'll fire it up, and I I intend I intend to watch that, and I intend to record the Marquette basketball game and watch that. So if I come in bleary eyed tomorrow, well, it, it's just because. I was watching sports, and I was watching the debate. But News Nation, big winner. When we come back, I thought this was a curious thing for President Biden to say. When we come back, I thought this was a curious thing for former President Trump to say. We'll talk about both. Don't go anywhere. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. All right, I would say this is a good start. Governor Tony Evers, earlier today, signed into law a bill that will make personal financial literacy classes a graduation requirement for all Wisconsin students. The bill requires starting with the graduating class of 2028, they must complete at least half a credit of personal financial literacy in order to graduate from the school school district. Um, Let's see, that includes learning concepts like household budgeting, consumer financing, insurance decisions, and retirement planning. All right, here's how I look at this. First of all, good. Good, 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 good to the as far as it goes. But what's this half credit stuff? I I mean, seriously, I think you can make a very strong argument. We've talked about this before over the years. I think you can make a very strong argument that if, if part of the purpose of high school is to prepare young people for what comes next, I think, I think a personal financial literacy course, I think it should be at least three credits, which would be one, one semester, one full time course. I mean, seriously, how, how, for the half a credit, how do you, how do you explain household budgeting, consumer financing, insurance decisions, retirement planning, all these things? How do you do it in the space of a half a credit? And the answer is you, you, you don't. Other than, okay, there's concepts of insurance. I mean, I think, again, we should be serious about this. And you should be looking at least, okay, this is this is a requirement. We have requirements that you have to meet, you know, basic standards for reading and arithmetic and things like that. And that's all well and good. But at least like three credits for basic financial planning. Think about... Think about what happens. A kid turns 18. A young person turns 18. They become an adult. That you know, know, they know nothing about how how to balance a checkbook, how to how to write checks, how to you know watch their bank accounts, what different types of bank accounts there are. They have no idea that okay, if if you get credit cards, because keep in mind, as soon as somebody gets out of high school, they're going to be getting all sorts of solicitations for credit cards. Well. All right. Do you understand, you know, what happens and what the interest rate on credit cards are? And that if you, you know, just make your minimum payment on credit cards, you're going to be paying for that, that, that dinner that you had. You're going to be paying for it for the next four or five years. And, and I'm, and I'm nothing against credit cards. It's just a question of explaining. Because I think one of the reasons, one of the reasons we're in the mess that we are when it comes to student loan debt is because a lot of people just had no clue what it was that they were getting into. Oh, well, I, I want to go to this school, so here, I'm, and the government's going to give me this money, so here, I'm going to sign off on it without recognizing that, that there will be a day of reckoning at some point in time. So, yeah, I mean, household budgeting, I think, is important. Oh, you want to move out with your buddy? Great. 
all right, but this is these are the expenses. You know, you're going to have to pay these things called utilities. You know, you're you know you you want your cell phone. You're going to have to pay for that. You want to buy a car. Okay, well that that's great, but you're going to have to buy insurance. Well, what type of insurance do you need to buy? All, all these different types of things that people find out in many respects the hard way because they they go and. You know, they, they make their mistakes. And I just, I mean, I, I'm all in favor of a financial literacy course. It just seems to me that half a credit is kind of, eh. I mean, it's, it's, if we're going to do it, let's do it right. And I do believe that we should do it. And I think school districts, now just because the state requires a half a credit, doesn't mean that school districts around the, the state can't exceed that. And candidly, I mean, I think I think this should be mandatory. You know, a financial literacy course to just let kids know these are the things you you could do. You could do you know three weeks on household budgeting. You could do three weeks on consumer financing, insurance. Gee, well, what's insurance? Why do I need that sort of stuff? Retirement planning, even a section on that. I mean, this is this is just rife with opportunities, and I think certainly more than a half a credit. So I think this is good. But it's what I would call a a first step. All right, I, I actually sent out a, a tweet on on this yesterday because, and I've, I've been interesting to see the way the the mainstream media spun this story because I had a a completely different take on on this. And if you follow me me on Twitter, it's or X or whatever we call it now, it's at uh, Jeff Wagner Radio. All right, uh, Joe Biden, who I I can't figure out why he's running again. And and I, I, I said this before, and I'm, I'm trying to take the politics out of it. But Biden's an old man. And, and it is apparent to everybody, independents, Republicans, Democrats, that that he's slipping. I mean, and, and you understand that. I mean, the, the people slow down. I'm in my 60s. I, I, my reflexes aren't what they were in, in the 40s. I don't have as much energy as I had when I was 30. I appreciate that. And I think, you know, most people know when it's time to kind of step back from the stage. One of the things that I think gives lots of voters pause, Republican, Democrat and independent, is the fact that most people believe that at the age of he'll be 82 if he were reelected, that's too old. And a four year term means he's 86. And as we've talked about before, you get to a point, um, especially when skills and things start to deteriorate, a lot of times it's not a slow glide path. It's like you've gone off a cliff. And I think lots of people who've dealt with aging grandparents or aging parents can tell you that that's the story. So in all honesty, other than just ego here, I I like being the leader of the free world and I like being able to say, hey, I want to jump on Air Force One and fly wherever I want to fly. I've just, from Biden's perspective, I just keep thinking, you know, he would be doing himself and his family and then actually the country, just a service. If he said, look, I, I've I've had a great run. I've done all these wonderful things, and now I'm going to retire, and I'm going to run my foundation, and I'm going to hang out with my kids, all, whatever you want to do. Um, I, I actually think it's extremely selfish to run, again, from Biden's perspective. So I've wondered what motivates him. Is this the Potomac fever? Is this the, I, I, the attitude that nobody else can do this job? I'm the only one who, who can do this, as opposed to saying, okay, maybe it's time to pass the torch to – a new generation of Democratic leaders. I'm not even talking about politics here. Maybe it's time to find, maybe it's Kamala Harris. Maybe it's Gavin Newsom out of California. Maybe it's the the, the governor of New York. I, I don't know. But is it time to pass the torch to this next generation of leaders, these 
these young whippersnappers who are in their 50s and, and their 60s. So I, I've really been wondering what it is that, that drives a guy like Biden to want to stay when he clearly should go. And and why he, if the people around him are telling him, oh, you got to run, you got to run, you got to run, even given the reality that he might not win in part because there's just a lot of people who think he's just too flat old. So I've been wondering what motivates him. Well, yesterday, he's at this this closed-door fundraiser, and somebody apparently talks. He's in Boston, and, you know, I think somebody asks him essentially that question that I just asked. Mr. President, why why are you why are you running? And, and and by the way, let me just take a step back. One of the things that I have the point I've been trying to make over the course of the last several months that some of you don't like to hear is I I want I want to hear from candidates who who have a vision of the future. I mean I mean I don't I don't want to rehash the 2020 election. I, I'm I'm done with that. That's that's in the rearview mirror. I don't want to rehash decisions that were made four or six or eight years ago, unless they are relevant to, you know, making decisions moving forward. I want to hear from candidates about what are you going to do to make my life better? What are you going to do to make the American public's life better? What is your vision of the future? And, And I haven't I haven't heard that articulated by Donald Trump. More on Trump in a couple of minutes. And I certainly haven't heard it articulated by, by Joe Biden. You know, so what's the vision? So anyhow, he's at this closed door fundraiser and somebody says, you know, Mr. President, what's going on? I mean, why, why are you running? And here's what he says. If Trump, quote, if Trump wasn't running, I'm not sure I'd be running. But we cannot let him win. And then the New York Times writes, the president's remarks came at a time when polls showed that most Democrats would prefer somebody other than Mr. Biden, who turned 81 last month to represent the party in next year's election. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. The the text line does not work and probably isn't going to work for a couple weeks, I'm being told. So we're old school now. We're we're doing the way we originally did it um, with with just the phone lines. But I'm listening to this, and and my reaction is, this is the guy's vision? I mean, should... I mean, you ask the president of the United States, why do you want another four years as the leader of the free world? And, and he says, well, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I would be running, except I want to stop Donald Trump. Now, I guess there's a couple of things that jump out at me. First of all, I think if I was a Democrat, I'd be making the strong argument that there's a lot of other candidates that are out there that candidly would be if Trump is, in fact, the Republican nominee. And I continue to believe he's not going to be. But let's put that aside. If Trump were the nominee, that uh, there's a lot of other candidates out there who would have a greater chance of beating Trump because they don't have the various baggage, starting with the fact that he's too darn old, that, that Biden has. So, but but secondly, I'm thinking that this is your reason. This is your reason, Detra. This is your motivation that you know. Well, I, I think you know I want to do this because I don't want it to be him. What what does that say? I mean, if I'm if I'm a Democrat voter, I'm like, wait, that that's not a vision of the future. That's give me somebody else because if that's the best you got, Mr. President, you know we we got to be able to do better than that. Now, the way this gets spun by the mainstream media is, oh, this shows how important Biden is to think to, to stop Trump as a threat to democracy. Well, OK, but but that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I, I really I got nothing 
other than I've decided that I think I've got the best chance to beat Donald Trump. Well, it is for the good of this country. Is that in and of itself enough of a reason to want to be the leader of the, the free world? And even from Democrats, don't you want somebody that has a bigger vision of that? And and again, the, the reality is, too, I think, you know, I, I think, you know, you put Trump against Biden and, and you've got, you know, a lot of Americans holding their breath and trying to figure out, you know, who they'll vote for, if anyone. You know, you put you put Trump against maybe a younger, more energetic candidate, and, and I don't think the election ends up getting close. I actually think Biden gives the Democrats a much greater chance to lose to Trump, contrary to his argument that I'm the only one. But nevertheless, that's not the vision that I want to hear. Just like I don't want to hear Trump talking about how he's going to you know, punish people for the 2020 election, I want I want Republicans talking about the future. I want Biden, I want a Democrat talking about the future. Is that too much to ask? 855-616-1620. Guy in Brookfield. Guy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Well, I agree completely. Uh, I just tell you this. Biden is an empty suit. He's uh, old, just being pushed by his uh, progressive, uh, you know, uh, Democrats. And Dr. Jill, she should be embarrassed that keeping him Well. I mean, I, you know, it, it's I mean, thanks for call, guy. I mean, it, it, look, I, I, I am I am sort of interested because a lot of times it's the family members that tell people when it's time to go. I was watching a documentary on on Lady Bird Johnson. Um, it, it's it's on um, it's on Hulu. And I, a matter of fact, I, I, I fell asleep in the middle of it, which is was more of a reflection of the fact that I was tired as opposed to not being good. So I went back. Last night or two nights ago, and I, I I watched it in its entirety. It's really fascinating. It's 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 excerpts from her. You know, she would tape from from her tape diary, and then they they intersperse it with news clips and things like that. And and it's very very apparent that you no know, 1968, her husband Lyndon Johnson, who was not in necessarily great health, who was overwhelmed and the mishandling of the Vietnam War and stuff, and she was one of the leading people who who went to him and and pushed him into not running for a, another term. Now, I mean, he, he he ultimately made his own decision, but but she instead of saying, "Oh, Lyndon, I I like flying around on Air Force 1." She was like, "You need to, you know, it it it's time for you to move on." You know, Jill Biden could be doing the same thing, but I think she likes being the first lady. So, it's here here Joe, let's let's take another nap and let's get on the planes and things like that. So you wonder if there's people close to him that are telling him, Hey, if your real goal is to stop Donald Trump, if he is the nominee, maybe the best thing you could do for the democratic party is to get out of the way and let it be somebody else. Um, Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Ron giving us a call on a cell phone. Ron, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? I believe that he's running for president so that Kamala Harris can be president because she wouldn't get in there in an election. So you think what happens is, is, is you, let me see. So you're, you're you think he runs and then somewhere in the the first year of his of his second term or something, he, he steps down because of health reasons or whatever. And she automatically becomes the president. You think that's kind of this big plan? Right, because they're big on history. They always want to have history. They'd have a female minority president then. Hmm. And saying that he's doing it because he's the only one that would beat Trump 
he's the reason that Trump would get in. They need a different Democrat to run. Well, I mean, I, Ron, I, I, I mean, thanks. I, I, I don't. I mean, I don't know about the. You know, we want to. You know, we want to win and then anoint uh, Kamala Harris. But I, I do. I, I am with you about, and that's the other thing. I'm the only one who can stop Trump. I mean, no, I mean, somebody should have said, well, you know, Mr. President, actually, you're you're probably the one that gives Trump the best chance to win because of all this baggage that you bring into the campaign. You get out of the way and we have a a new, fresh face and it's a completely different conversation. And you, you take you take the age issue off the table and then, you know, I mean, I, and I, I do believe that. I think if you would do a head-to-head matchup with Donald Trump and I don't know about Kamala Harris, but certainly the governor of California, Newsom, and maybe a handful of others, you know, Trump ends up getting crushed. Because, you know, if, if you put Trump against Biden, you've got a lot of people who just don't think Biden's done a very good job and has all this other baggage, and they're willing to overlook the baggage that, that former President Trump has. You, you bring in a new face, and I think it's a completely different dynamic. If that's really the motivation, I want to make sure Trump doesn't get in. My argument would be, you know, Joe Biden, just like you said, Ron, Joe Biden is one of the best chances that he's going to do that. John on the north side. John, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I am John from the north side. Yes, sir. Okay. I think I think we could be fair. Let's get rid of both of them. Let's, let's get that nuisance guy in there. And let's get that uh, Nikki Haley and, and end it. You know, I, how hard could that be? I don't understand. You're going to mess up the whole world trying to fool around with Trump with all that baggage and fool around with, with, with Biden. And I love Biden. You know, I'm a Democrat. But I just believe that neither one of them should be in there. And I think that we're wasting time fooling with this. You know, I mean, why has Trump got to be in there? I don't understand it. Is he just want to get out of jail? I'd rather tell him, well, look. Look, we forgive you for every day. You won't go to jail. Just, just go away. Uh, you know, um, I'd, rather, I'd, I'd rather do that. John, th- thanks for the call. Well, I, 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 let, let, putting aside the fact that you know you love Biden, because I don't love Biden, but I agree, I agree with every sentiment you have with regard to, and I think you know, John, this is one of those times where Republicans and Democrats come together. At least the majority of us, and certainly a lot of independent voters, we want something else. I'm pounding the table here. Is that going out over the radio? I'm pounding the table. Oh, my producer said you can hear a little bit about that. All right. Let's pound a little bit more there. I've got eight shows left. What the heck? We'll pound a little bit more. No, we want something else. I mean, this, this is just, just if you're, if you're sitting at your kitchen table listening to me, if you're driving in your car, this is the time. Just take one hand off the wheel if you can do it safely. Just bang on that steering wheel. Bang on the table. We want something else. We want something else. We don't want 2020 redo. All right, we want to move on. We want to look towards the future, whatever that might look like. You know, give us an alternative to an 82-year-old guy who is clearly failing. Give us an alternative to a 77-year-old guy who has, well, I mean, he's got, look, everybody's got baggage. Some people pack heavier than others. Donald Trump, when it comes to baggage, he's, you know, he's got a whole boxcar full of baggage. I mean, give us somebody with less baggage. We want someone else. Let's have this dialogue about policies instead of worrying about the personalities and something like that. Is that too much to ask for? 
I continue to believe, as someone who has great faith in the American people, I continue to believe that at the end of the day, to use that cliche, we're, we're going to collectively come to that conclusion. And Republicans are going to say, we want a different choice. Somebody who's not under indictment or <laughs> criminal charged with crimes in four separate jurisdictions, who talks about Sean Hannity yesterday. They're, they're doing this interview with Trump. And they say, well, you know, he, he throws Trump this softball saying, OK, you know, there, there's people that are concerned that you're going to, you know, that you're going to like throw out the the, con- the the Constitution and stuff. And his first response is, OK, well, you know, I, I'm thinking maybe on day one I will be a dictator, <laughs> you know, and, and then then we're going to then we're going to start locking up illegal aliens and then we're going to start drilling and drilling and drilling. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, this is how you answer that question. But it's classic Trump. You don't expect anything different. But you know, do we want to deal with this for another four years, for goodness sakes? Do you want to deal with old Joe Biden? No, we want something else. That should be the bumper sticker. See, and this is one that, again, it doesn't matter whether you're conservative, liberal, Republican, or, or Democrat. We should all be able to put that bumper sticker saying, we want something else. Will we get it? Don't know. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. I am so very glad to have you with us. My producer Aaron says, Jeff, we're, we're a little bit behind playing the commercial. You know, we, we got to catch up. And it's, and, and I'm thinking, OK, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm retiring in like seven or eight days. You know what? What's the worst? That, no, we will. We will get the commercial. I we had a former sales manager. My, my friend Tom and Tom, that that would be the thing. He, I, I knew he would listen, and he'd always say, "I heard the show today." And I said, "Oh, well, how would you think of it?" He said, "You got all the commercials played." That was it. It was like, okay, as long as you're playing the commercials, we we will. I promise, we will catch up. There is a breaking news story that I'm sure Greg and Amy Taylor will have more about. The reports are a shooting. Um, reports of a shooting with multiple victims on the UNLV campus. Um, if you, if you. Go to Las Vegas, and I, I know a lot of you do. You 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 pretty much go past. There, there's really no way to get from the airport to the, the Strip without at least seeing a portion of the campus of UNLV, or at least like the the arena where they they play the basketball games and stuff like that. In so um, we'll, we're waiting more details about that. But uh, reports of a shooting with multiple victims on the UNLV campus. It, you know, people. I've been taking kind of a retrospective look at the you know after doing a, a radio show in this market full or part time for for going on thirty years. Uh, you know, people have been saying, you know, what are some of the changes? And and one of the things that's definitely changed is our reaction to these mass shootings. It's um, they were not common thirty years ago, and now now it's just like oh well, here here's a breaking news story. There's another one. I I vividly remember when when Columbine happened, and, and I mean Columbine. The reaction that we had on, on this program and on other programs, we, we talked about that for a couple of weeks. How, how could kids be so disillusioned that they would do this and you'd have a school shooting? And now, unfortunately, school shootings, I, I don't want to say they occur every day because they don't. But now it's kind of like, oh, there's been another sort of school shooting. It, it really has the rise of these mass shootings is really um, is really that that's one of these kind of dominant stories. And it looks like there might have been something that happened there. Um, we, we've talked about this a couple of times, and I admit this is one of these issues where I, I kind of I see both sides of the issue. Uh, menthol cigarettes, and I, I'm not a smoker, so I don't have a I don't have a horse in this particular race. Menthol cigarettes are much more I, I want to say uh, addictive in that 
because they're, they're flavored. Um, people who start smoking end up, they, they get addicted, but it, it's easier to, it's easier to smoke a, a cool, I guess, than it is to smoke a, a camel, an unfiltered camel. They're, it's not as harsh. And so, Menthol cigarettes, in many cases, are a gateway cigarette to get people smoking. In addition, for whatever reason, menthol cigarettes, the vast majority, are sold in the black community. Um, if you look at, at the number of, of black smokers, it's, it's, I think the numbers I saw were like 80% smoke, smoke menthol cigarettes. And I, I don't exactly understand why that is, but that's just the reality. So anyways, in an effort to stop the disproportionate impact that menthol cigarettes have on on the minority community and in an effort to try to, again, curtail cigarette smoking. The Biden administration, through the FDA, it proposed all these regulations which would essentially outlaw ban menthol cigarettes. And you, you can make arguments on both sides of this issue, but there was a huge blowback, not just by cigarette manufacturers, but also by lots of smokers and things like that. Um, huge lobbying effort. And the update on this is the the ban on menthol cigarettes that Biden had rolled out, it's going to be delayed. Um, in, in particular, well, the way Washington Post says is the Biden administration will further delay a ban on menthol cigarettes after a fierce lobbying from critics who warned that a prohibition could anger some black smokers who favor the products and could hurt President Biden's reelection prospects, administration officials said. All right, my head is again getting ready to explode. Regardless of how you feel uh, about whether menthol cigarettes should be banned, that the reason the Biden administration has decided to we're going to put we're going to hold off on the ban on menthol cigarettes, not because you know we don't think it's a good thing or not because we don't think it's practical, but we're we we need black voters and we're afraid black voters who are disproportionately smokers of menthol cigarettes we think they may be mad at us. So we're not going to go ahead with the ban until after the election. It is no way to run a country. I mean, if it's the right thing to do, and I say if, if it's the right thing to do, for the love of God, do it. But no, we're not going to do it because we're afraid we might anger black smokers and they might not vote for us. Oh, my gosh. I was actually thinking of a different word, but we'll just say, oh, my gosh, and leave it at that. All right. As long as I am, let let me be a bipartisan. My head is going to explode. So uh, we we just talked about the the Biden administration who wants to ban menthol. The FDA wants to ban menthol cigarettes. We've had that conversation again. You you can agree one way or the other whether it's the right decision. Uh, I'm I'm not a smoker. Don't take a position. But the Biden administration decided we want to do this because we think, you know, menthol is kind of a gateway thing. We think, you know, cigarette smoking is bad. This encourages more people to do it. It has a disproportionate impact on the black community. And so, you know, we want to show our concerns. We want to save people's lives. Okay, they believe that. But now the reports are they've taken the ban on menthol cigarettes off the table, not because they've changed their thinking, but because they're afraid that they might might make black voters angry and the black voters might not vote for Joe Biden in 2024. That's just that's just crazy. I mean, if you think it's the right thing to do, do it. Or and if you don't think it's the right thing to do, then knock it off. But oh, we're not going to do this because we don't want some people to be mad at us even though we believe it's the right thing. This this other story is is a variation of this. And I know that there are some of you who disagree with me on the whole issue of Ukraine. I firmly believe that it is in our interest to stop 
Ukraine from being overrun by Russia. First of all, I I do believe there's a bit of a domino theory here. If Vladimir Putin thinks he can get away with taking land, he will continue to take land. And, you know, if if today it's Ukraine, tomorrow after they build back the Russian military, it's Poland or Finland or something else. In addition, I mean, what's been going on in Ukraine has dramatically degraded the Russian military. Um, you, You have... The Russian armaments are being drained. You have Russian soldiers that are, you know, being injured and stuff. And I, I don't wish for that. But Putin is destroying his military in in Ukraine. And my argument is, if if we agree that Russia is the evil empire, and I think most of us do, wouldn't you rather be fighting Ukraine, you know, in Ukraine as opposed to, I don't know, somewhere, you know, in in other parts of Eastern Europe? I mean, this. If you're going to battle Russia, this is a great spot to do it. I also think that there are other countries that are watching the reaction of the United States and the West to to how we handle this. After Biden cut and run ran in Afghanistan, that sent a message across the world. And, and again, I understand reasonable people can disagree about whether or not we should have been in Afghanistan for as long as we were. But Biden's decision to say, OK, we're gone and essentially pick up stakes and run with our tail between our legs, sent the message that, you know, we're not going to support our, our allies. And if you think if you think that part of the decision to invade Ukraine wasn't based on what we did in Afghanistan, my response, again, would be make sure you tuck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck so you don't hurt yourself. So I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that China is watching what our reaction is and, you know, is the West going to – continue to support, you know, the Ukraine and their battle against Russia? Or because we have a limited attention span, are we going to move on to something else? Are we going to cut and run? So, and, and but I, I go back to the major point. If we got to fight Russia, I would much rather have Russia being fought to a standstill and required to expend all these resources, men and materiel. I'd rather have it be going on in Ukraine as opposed to just, okay, we're going to let Ukraine be dominated. So that that's my theory. But for that to happen... The United States has to continue to support Ukraine. That that's just that's just it. And what's going on in the Senate today? Head exploding moment because you have a number of Republicans who are apparently not willing to vote on supporting Ukraine and continuing to provide them with ammunition, et cetera, et cetera, because you know they're unhappy with what's going on at the border, and so they want to link the border, which has nothing to do with Ukraine, with funding for Ukraine. And again, it's just this is what I hate about politics. All right, let's have let's have a decision up or down whether or not, you know, we want to support Ukraine. Don't put these poison pill things in it and say, well, I'm not going to support Ukraine because I don't like what's going on at at the border. Don't decide on its merits. Should we be supporting Ukraine? I vote yes. And if you decide we should be supporting Ukraine, then let's support Ukraine. Ukraine. And then, you know, the border, let's deal with the border issue on its merits as well. And if people don't like the response and the fact that we've got these porous borders and the Biden border policy has been a disaster, okay, that's all well and good too. Then vote Joe Biden out next November. Vote the Democrats in the Senate who are, you know, implementing that that failed border policy. Vote them out. But let's not hold Ukraine hostage if we think it's a good thing to do. Just saying. All right. The other big news from yesterday was a Dane County judge in a ruling that should surprise no one ruled that uh, the 174 year old law, which 
at least on its face, certainly seems to outlaw abortion, uh, doesn't mean what the plain language of the law says. Um, and, and, and I think you can make an argument about whether or not, uh, you know, with everything that's happened over time, whether 174-year-old law should be should be controlling. But uh, the, the judge ruled no, that even though this pretty clearly applies to, you know, babies, it, the, the law doesn't mean what it says. So as, as a result of this decision, um, abortion is now not illegal in the state of Wisconsin. And of course, a number of the usual suspects are clapping and applauding. And this, this is great that women can go terminate pregnancies um, within the first 20 weeks and, and all. I, you know, it, it's going to be appealed, but th- this ruling even though it might be a flawed legal analysis, is going to be upheld because we have a, a very results-oriented court now who don't believe that the right to abortion should be limited in any material way. So that's what's going to end up happening. Uh, I guess, on the one hand, the good news about this from a conservative perspective is, regardless of whether you're pro-choice or pro-life, one of the things is this now takes this issue off the table for, for politics. And, and there's no question that the abortion issue has hurt conservative candidates over the course of the, the last couple of years since Dobbs. So uh, whether this decision is right or not, my guess is it's going to be upheld. My guess is that we're going to revert back to kind of the pre-row approach to this. And um, maybe the good news, like I say, is we're not going to be subjected to hours and hours and hours of this person wants to take away your right to terminate your pregnancy ads over the course of the next you know, next nine or 10 months. And we'll have to go back to the other things about how these evil conservatives want to, I don't know, end Social Security and put Granny out on an iceberg and float her out into the Arctic Sea. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Okay, I was thinking during the break, my pending retirement ends one of our our ongoing sort of disputes because up until this year, I've been the spokesperson for Pajama Graham. And of course, the, the, the debate is always, okay, is it pajama or is it pajama? And of course, Vince who's now doing the ad, says it's pajama. My argument has been, well, I think you can say either way, but, I mean, to me, it's pajamas. You don't say Bahamas. You say Bahamas. You don't say Bahamas. But regardless, uh, pajama, pajama, you say potato, I say potato. Um, check out the <laughs> pajama grammar, pajama grammar, whatever. But you, I, whenever those ads used to run, I'd always hear from people saying, don't you know it's pajama? No, I say pajama. And if you don't like it, it's I say coyote instead of coyote, too. It just depends on what part of the country you grew up in or where you learned the word from. When we come back, let's find out what we're going to learn from Greg Matzik and Amy Taylor on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.